Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where the only confessions you'll get are our criminally hot takes. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the anime series Kaguya-sama Love is War. Directed by Mamoru Hatakiyama and produced by A1 Pictures, the series premiered in January 2019, running for 37 episodes over three seasons, with its most recent season concluding in June 2022. A sequel movie to season three, also directed by Hatakeyama, premiered in December 2022. The anime is adapted from the manga of the same name, written and drawn by Aka Akasaka, which debuted in May 2015 and concluded in November 2022. The story follows Miyuki Shirogane and Kaguya Shinomiya, the president and vice president of the prestigious Shuichin Student Council, and their burgeoning romance, the only catch being that neither one wants to be the first to ask the other out. Joined by other students from the academy, the two embark on an over-the-top journey of mind games and underhanded tactics, all with the express goal of making the other confess their love first. The series was met with widespread critical acclaim, and quickly rose as one of the most popular rom-com anime series of all time, with fans praising the story, characters, and humor of the show, as well as the show's refreshing take on the rom-com genre. A date for the fourth season has not yet been officially announced, but has been teased at the end of the theatrical movie release. And, as always, there will be spoilers. Alright, well... I have been waiting a long time to bring this show to our doorstep. Like at least eight months, I think, it's been since you first mentioned it. Probably. I've been meaning to bring the show for a while now, but I think I only really wanted to bring the show when once I knew that this latest season had come out, the third season and the movie, because I had watched this show uh, this series i think pretty recently after it came out i remember watching an one of those youtube anime review channels like i was looking for something new to watch and they recommended this show and i liked the premise and i watched the first season i'm like oh my god this is hilarious and amazing uh i quickly broke and read the manga <laughs> Uh, up to uh, where it was being currently serialized, which is just a little past where the anime is right now. I think I've stopped reading about 30 or 40 chapters after um, where the anime stopped. And I remember recommending this show to Marcus and Danielle, our old friend, and we would get together on weekends and just like watch anime. And this was one of the shows that I brought. And I remember you two really liking it. It was really good. <laughs> just, yep. Yeah, just like laughing at the hilarious jokes and scenarios. And finally, with this third or fourth season, third season and a movie, I should say, done, I'm very happy to bring this show to you all and get your opinions on it because I really do think that this is one of the it's certainly one of the most popular anime in the past decade or so uh it has completely blown the rom-com genre of anime wide open and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that and what rom-com in 
manga and anime looked like before and after this series because it really did change a lot of things. I also just think that this show absolutely knows what it's doing. The author has these really cutting and hilarious jokes that he writes into uh, the chapters and, of course, into the episodes of the anime. But there's also this really interesting, like, introspective look on what it means to, like, have a first love or be in a, like, will-they-won't-they sort of a relationship with someone you like. And it's presented in a way that is over-the-top but also simultaneously really emotional in some moments, like, really sad as well in some others. And it all comes together to make this wonderful gem of a show. And the best part is that currently, even with three seasons and a movie, we're only a little over halfway done with the entire story. So there is a lot more to cover. And when the rest of this season comes out, whenever it will, you know we're going to be coming back to it. But I will stand by the show for, I think, like, for a while, uh, as I keep reading it, as I keep watching it, just because it is, it's, yeah, it's a gem of a show. But what about the rest of y'all? What are your first impressions for the show? Because it is most of your first time watching this show. So I want to know, what did you think of this anime? So I only ever heard about this when Alex first started bringing it up to bring to the podcast, you know, just casually in conversation, as I said, maybe eight or so months ago. But it was right around the time we were uh, watching Spy X Family, I believe. Um, and he brought it up as like, you know, if you like this and you like this kind of stuff, like there's this other show that I've seen before that I think you're really going to like. I'm going to bring it to the podcast someday. And he pitched it then. And I remember being really intrigued by the premise. And... We had, you know, like a little bit of a gap in our, you know, podcast recording uh, last couple, like, weeks or so. And so I had enough time to actually sit down and watch every single episode of this show, which is not the case most of the time. Most of the time, you know, we are working with a pared down list of the mm -hmm. most important episodes. But I was actually able to give this show, like, a full run through. And God, am I glad I did. I'm preparing myself to either agree very hard or disagree very hard with the rest of y'all because I think this might just be my favorite anime series of all time. Yeah. I have I have nothing but strong praise for this story. I mean, look, y'all know me, right? My things are like uh, uh, satisfying narrative arcs, close in character focus and character development and getting, you know, sappy about romances. And this show has all three in droves. There is just so much, I think, breadth of of tone that they achieve so flawlessly. Like, it is hilarious to me that a show that is as ridiculous as some of the mind games get also have, like, very serious and, like, stark discussions of, like... Uh, the difficulties of being a teenager in high school. I mean, uh, the difficulties of all the these like different characters. I mean, there's just so much that the show can do, and it all hits 
so flawlessly. Like, never does anything feel out of place. I feel like with some shows, you know, it, it establishes the tone, it establishes what it is doing, how it is doing it. And that's just where it lives. That's the kind of, the, the tonal world that it sits in and it can't really adjust to talk about anything in a different sort of way. This show covers everything. And it is, you know, it does have a home in this sort of, like, over-the-top uh, kind of satirical-ish melodrama um, but it just gets it gets so heartfelt and it gets so real and I think these characters feel more real to me than most of the characters I've seen in other anime series so I'm absolutely in love I feel like this is going to now be the show that I recommend to people if they want to start getting into anime uh, I will at least for the sake of posterity point out I say this is probably my favorite anime series of all time obviously it does not beat Studio Ghibli for me because I don't know if anything ever will but this is a great show. Also, just for the record, we're going to talk about this more later. Holy shit, the animation is so fucking amazing. And every time we talk about <laughs> animation that does something other than literally represent what is happening on screen, where, you know, they feel free to, the animators feel free to say, fuck it. We're going to, like, you know, break the mise on scent for a moment here, and then we're going to go right back to it. This show does that all the time, and I love it. Yeah, I think, um, I think those, those are pretty fair takes, to be honest. I will say that this show is, is, excellent i think um to respond to the favorite anime of all time obviously which is it was which is a subjective opinion <laughs> yeah y'all don't need to agree with me like, i know. I, I this part of why i'm so in love with this is because it caters so directly to what i want to see yeah mm-hmm. um and what i really love about this show is i think alex you kind of nailed it with it which uh which is like it executes so well it really knows what it's doing um it like it knows that it is a, that it is a rom com show in both senses of the word, um, and both of those aspects are extremely strong, um, narrative wise, character wise, um, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I think the show is phenomenal. Um, I am I am very curious to see how they're gonna close it out. Obviously, I don't I know that the manga is over at this point, um, so there is an ending of some sort. I don't know what the ending is. Um, but there is an ending to this anime at some point. I I actually thought it was. It was, it's kind of interesting because I didn't, uh, before reaching the end, because I, I have also watched every episode and seen the movie, um, I was like, you know what? That actually would have been a pretty good place to stop also. Um, and mm-hmm. I find that really interesting personally. Um, that it's the, not that it's going to keep going because I think that I, like, afterwards I'm like, oh, right, there is more stuff. But um, I like, I think, <laughs> I, here, this, maybe this is props to Alex. I think you chose a good point to bring this, a good point in time to bring this to the podcast because if this was like the end of the anime i'd have been like i'm actually very satisfied with this anime um so that, that i think that makes me more excited to to watch it continue um yeah so i think it nails something that a lot of anime like a lot of anime do a lot of what this show does but this show like kind of brings it all together if that makes any sense like Yes, the what Iris was just talking about with the kind of mise-en-scene and the breaking of reality and stuff like that. That's a it's a classic anime thing to do that. And I think also with the like uh not I don't, I don't want to say complex, but the emotional and uh characterful sort of uh internal dialogue and how they express their emotions to us the viewers. And also the 
kind of the um the 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 conflict setup of how the anime brings in how it's not reaching its end goal. I'm being very complicated with the way I'm saying this, but like it all feels like a lot of different animes have done this before, but not to the level that this show does. It brings everything together and executes it perfectly, I believe. Especially the comedy, because I do think that this show is hilarious. Um, so yeah, I think that the show is excellent, and uh, I can't wait to see to see more. Yeah, uh, I think the show is also excellent. And uh, Alex, as you alluded to earlier, we first I first got I got my first taste of this show. I think it was just seasons one and two. Uh, mm. This must have been like what twenty nineteen or something. So ancient yeah, history. I think it was just point. season one at that point. Season one at that point. All right, but. Yeah, obviously the the premise was it's immediately appealing, uh, especially for uh, you know just reminiscing on the feeling of being lo- in love in high school and stuff like that, uh, and the uh, the mental mind games I guess that go along with that. But um, <laughs> this time around, I decided to uh, listen to the dub. Uh, I watched the sub with Alex uh, and Danielle the first time. <laughs> oh, man. This time, I wanted to give the dub a shot because. Uh, in many ways, and, and Michael, this is kind of alluding to what you mentioned earlier, uh, this show draws, or, or rather does a lot of the same things that we, you know, a couple of other shows, popular animes have done, and the ones that I wanted to bring up were um, Death Note, which kind of popularized the whole, like, m- you know, internal dialogue kind of thing that went on in people's minds, and, you know, seeing that aspect of it, and the mind games that come out of that, uh, as well as uh, Oran High School Host Club, because... You know, having watched this show before that, I was unfamiliar with the genre as a whole. Obviously, this is a romantic comedy, but beyond that, it does a lot more uh, than most romantic comedies, at least Western ones do. So seeing that this existed in a form in Oran High School Host Club and then seeing this, I think, executed quite a bit better than Oran High School Host Club did. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it really does speak to the quality of the animation, the, the writing and uh, Iris, as you mentioned, the way that they, you know, intersperse these really emotional, really deep moments in with what is truly ridiculous comedy at some point. So uh, it, it's a very masterful execution, I think, of a lot of different, very complex things that have to go into a show. Uh, and it's impressive. Um, the dub is fucking hilarious. It's on his. The dub. The narrator is, and the dub the, goes so The narrator hard. sounds like one of those guys from like the React videos on YouTube. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. It, like, and I think like, it's like designed to be to, yeah, I think it's designed to mimic exactly that where, and he even goes on some like crazy Patrick Warburton like, like, you know, unhinged like screaming sometimes. Like, I was I I watched most of the show uh, most of season three today while I was cooking so I wasn't actually watching the screen like the entire time but I was hearing which is a damn travesty for the record because the animation is gorgeous (laughs) I've seen the show (laughs) Um, but uh, you know hearing it without any context like hearing what was being said (laughs) without any context of what was going on the screen (laughs) just floored me sometimes I would literally burst out laughing while I was while I was in the kitchen so. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, I think that this show is just a really excellent example of um, you know, the the kind of heights that an anime can reach, uh, the the limit as to where the genre can really uh, extend itself to when you have you know an impressive voice cast both in the Japanese and the uh, English dub. Uh, you have an excellent animation team and a really, really cool animation style too. Like they, they obviously pull a lot of references and pop culture things to, you know, make things pop on the screen. But every time there's like, you know, the lightning flash and stuff like that, just kind of, 
um, hallmarks of anime's past. It, 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 it's really funny. It just really is good. So, um, yeah, this is a really good show. And unfortunately, I did not watch the movie. Um, so don't feel like you have to keep me from spoilers. I'll watch it anyway. I, you know, don't feel like I need to be, uh, saved from anything, but, uh, I am going to look forward to watching the movie in the future. And, uh, when season four rolls around, I'll catch that too. Yeah, definitely. I do think, uh, I do want to mention something that you said, Marcus, that the animators must've been having a great time oh just God. like animating yeah. this, this show. <laughs> the, yeah, with the, all those... the voice cast too. Like they, they must have been, you know, crackling laughing every time they recorded these lines too. So I'm glad yeah, I think, enjoyed it. I do think the manga is after like season one, a lot of people went and read the manga and the manga is like so beloved that people wanted to do it justice, wanted to bring that to screen. And again, they, they did it excellently. All right, well, it's time to talk about our favorite moments and favorite characters. And boy, are there a lot of them in these three seasons. Um, and I'm going to ch- go first since I brought this uh, anime. And I'm going to go with my, my, ma- my favorite character is one that I'm picking because I don't think I, I'm afraid that we're not going to talk about them um which means i'm not picking someone from the student council i'm also not picking a student the president no sorry the 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 the, the fucking principal no no he's picking no 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 no. it's gonna be should have got his dad the ramen kings is it k no ramen king is a great is it fujiwara's younger sister (laughs) it is the narrator oh okay fair 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 That's such a cop-out, but fair. No, 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 no. For for this show, for this show, I actually totally am on board. I I need to talk about this narrator because after watching all this, all three seasons of the movie, can you imagine the show being the same without the narrator? (laughs) So true. That is a great point. The entire, the entire thing about the narrator is that in the manga there is a narrator like talking to us in these text boxes and the fact that they adapted it by having this over-the-top Japanese man just like scream lines at us is one of the best parts because it adds to that distinctive style and humor of this show because there are so many moments when uh, our main characters like Kaguya or Miyuki are telling like a bald-faced lie and the narrator is like that was a lie or like they're lying or I Hayasaka lied as easily as she breathed which is a meme in of itself also yeah no so many memes come from the show mm-hmm. it has become a cultural icon um but all of these moments these like back and forth jokes with the narrator where he's like talking about these esoteric psychological tests or like the suspension bridge test or whatever the Romeo and Juliet effect <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it lends to that over the top quality, and again, it is adapted amazingly from the manga. In and of itself, like the narrator is a character, and he just lays down a bunch of humor. But also in those like quiet moments, like at the end of the movie when he's describing that like the courtroom scene in Kaguya's mind is not real; it is just the emotions of someone in love 
Um, or when he, at the very beginning in season one, where he's talking about how like crazy the Shinomiya family is, all of these things come together to create a character that, again, the show would not be the same with. I don't think it would be as distinctive without this narrator, and it would not be as funny or as heartfelt without this narrator. Absolutely. And and real quick, well, as I jump in, I want to say that like the narrator serves so many key purposes in this show. One, it uh, the narrator is able to give us exposition in a really quick manner. And so it allows these chapters to be very quick and fast paced, which allows the the plot, quote unquote, but the the, the episodes to come at you really quickly and mm-hmm. really satisfying in that way. The narrator is also the audience surrogate. And so because the entire show is based around the fact that the two characters cannot openly uh, display their emotions to each other, the narrator allows the show to express its emotions to us via the narrator. Otherwise, it would feel way too uh, stilted that there didn't feel like, like, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, because they're not going across each other, the narrator is allowing us, the audience, to see the gap and therefore see it in our heads where, yeah. what, where things are missing and stuff like that, which is really key for this anime because this anime is all about the lack of communication. So the narrator serves as that line of communication for us, the audience, and it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's just a very structural concept, right? I mean, so much of the humor is based around being able to communicate to the audience in a non-diegetic way. Right. I mean, the classic example, and I, I think someone mentioned it a moment ago, is the, you know, so he was lying. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the explanation of what was actually going on. Right. The the cutaways to the 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 further back place. I mean, it, it makes it feel like it is, you know, more like storytelling. You know, we are we are getting the insights that you cannot have if you are only allowing characters to speak for themselves. And I always think that the use of a narrator needs to be done very particularly because I think it's very easy to fuck it up. It's very easy to have it feel like a narrator's comments are pulling you out of the flow of the story or that it is just heavy-handed. And I think here, the narrator is not just like another tool to get us to understand what is happening. A narrator is part of the story and part of the humor, critically. There's so many jokes that just would not land if you did not have the narrator like explaining what was happening. Definitely want to plus one Michael's point too about how it keeps the pace of the episodes, uh, you know, very kind of bite-sized in the sense that, uh, you know, it lets the episode move at the pace that, you know, a fast pace that it can, you know, support, but it also lets it kind of walk its way out the door without kind of overstaying its welcome. The narrator kind of puts these bookends on the episodes every time, establishes the, you know, who won. I like the, you know, the, 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 yeah, this, the today's, today's battle, results. you know. Yeah, today's results. The today's the battle. battle thing is such a great framing. It's, yeah, it's excellent. It takes 10 seconds to complete, and it's just a wonderful way to summarize the events of, you know, what was the uh, funny last seven minutes. So And is yeah, often a joke in and of itself, right? Yeah, yeah. That was like, one of my favorite things to do was at the end of every episode was when they got to that final shot of the roof is to guess who was going to win or going right. to lose. Yeah. And oftentimes you can get it, but it's funny just trying to figure out what spin they're going to put on it. Muscle queen <laughs> reigns supreme. <laughs> oh my god. Like, yeah, what you said, Michael, about this show having the potential of becoming stilted without the narrator. Yeah, imagine if it was just Kaguya and Miyuki just in their own heads about each other for the entire show without that narrator. It would, yeah, it would just not work. Um, 
I think it was like it's like the concept of a straight man in a comedy yeah. role, right? You need the contrast. You need someone to tell you, no, this is ridiculous, and here's how. Mm-hmm. And I often can find that in sitcoms, if you have the straight man be a person in the space, like um, like fucking Jim in the office, right? I personally sometimes can't stand that. But having it be removed from what's actually going on is great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as for my favorite scene, I think I, while the dual confessions was amazingly adapted and is like the climax of the show, I think I have to pick the um, the second time the two kiss, which is in the movie. Um and it is like on a park bench in the middle of like some street somewhere. And I want to highlight the conversation that the two have with one another, that Miyuki and Kaguya have on this park bench about not needing things to be ultra romantic um, for the two to have a relationship because I really think that was when this show, the series went from being a really good, but expected rom-com to something else entirely. And I'm going to take a step back to talk a little bit about the rom-com genre in anime. And I previewed a little of this to Iris um, today, but Here's the thing. I when I was young, uh, like first getting into anime, I watched a couple of rom coms, ones that were thought as like classic at the time. Because like, oh, what am I going to watch? I'm going to watch like Cowboy Bebop. I'm going to watch these romantic comedy animes just to see what I like. And the thing about early rom com animes and rom com animes up until this point was they always followed a very specific formula. It would be two people that liked each other that would spend the entire series kind of like hemming or hawing, um, getting into scenarios, but never declaring their love for each other, um, getting closer and closer. And then finally, at the very end, they'd confess their love for one another or they'd kiss and then the show would end. And I think that's what a lot of people thought would happen with Kaguya, with this show. Um... But after the dual confession arc, after, like you said, Michael, the moment where you would have been fine with it ending, ending on that super climactic moment, the author, uh, Akasaka, made the decision to keep going and go into this sort of uncharted territory of what comes after, after that initial confession, after that first kiss and the uneasiness of like whether or not that kiss meant something or what the two's relationship is now after that first kiss or after that confession was something that was completely new completely unique in the rom-com genre and i think it's so important that this happened in the first place because after Kaguya, I, to the best of my knowledge, after Kaguya, a lot of rom-coms started following this formula of getting the confession out of the way and finding stories to tell 
finding drama that didn't come from this before period of like the will they won't they confess to one another because it was so drawn out it was so replayed and (laughs) the funny thing is that this is now called the reiwa era of rom-com because it coincided perfectly with the emperor of japan being succeeded by another (laughs) emperor with a last name so if you ever hear something called a reiwa manga uh rom-com is the manga or the rom-coms that have come after Kaguya within the past two or three years. Spy X Family is set in this period. Shinzo Abe probably said, yes, continue. <laughs> Raise the population of Japan. Um, of course, that's the conspiracy theory. But but this scene of them talking to one another, of resolving their relationship, of having a normal kiss at the end was absolutely needed not only for the story but for the genre as a whole and everything that came after that um after this point is them exploring their relationship finding new battles to have when they are dating and i think it's so wonderful that this manga continued to go after what could have been a spectacular ending because there probably is a universe somewhere where this ended with the dual confessions and we wouldn't have gotten everything else that came afterwards. And I think we'd have been poorer for it. But yeah, that is my favorite scene just because of what the possibilities that it opened for the story and for the genre as a whole. And I'm actually just going to follow up on that briefly. And you totally stole my favorite scene, but obviously it was the correct choice. Um, (laughs) I think part of what's so important about this is that If you only ever tell stories about courtship and you only ever tell stories about starting a relationship, then when do you get a chance to talk about the fact that relationships are not always all sunshine and rainbows and it's not always easy and perfect and that starting to date someone Mm -hmm. is not the finish line, right? That the relationship itself takes work and takes effort and has challenges and has joy to it too. I think there's also something to be said for like, if you never tell the story of what happens during a relationship, you never like point out that you never have a chance to like talk about all the the little joys of like being with someone. And in another perspective, it's also just like unsatisfying as a viewer, right? If you're only ever seeing people like pining and pining and you never actually get to see, you know, they're finally getting together. And just when it's about to start getting satisfying to like, you know, watch their romance. Again, I'm a sappy, sappy person. I want to see people being in love and being happy together and having challenges and overcoming them together. And... (sighs) I just, yeah, it's it, poorer for it without the rest of the story, I think is a great way to phrase that. I do also think it's really important. Um, well, I guess actually I'm going to, I'm going to bridge this into what my sort of follow up favorite scene is. So I'm going to let you, you briefly break in here, Michael. Oh, just real quick that um, I'll, I'll give more thoughts on that when we talk about the ending in, in full, or maybe it's right now, but um the, the thing that I said earlier was that I would be satisfied if the anime was over was not about the end of season three, but the end of the movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because okay. because I actually see that in my head, the end of season three is basically the culmination of the crush story arc. But now this is like where the relationship actually begins, which is why I was like, okay, I can see that that's like, this is the, not purpose, but like the meaning 
that and the message of this anime with that with those final lines of doesn't need to be perfect we don't need to have these masks on anymore which i love that metaphor by the way yeah. um, well okay again you're preempting me so <laughs> <laughs> without saying any more than that's what i was saying before that like then it would be like again it would have implied if the anime did end here um it would have implied more than just the end of season three with the ending of the movie that's where i was at yeah, and I definitely have thoughts on that, but to to plow through because we need to actually get through this episode. Uh, my my follow up favorite scene is actually going to be this sort of drawn out kind of um, uh, flashback to the kiss from their two perspectives, and again this whole metaphor with the masks. And I think the first time when Kagi was talking about it, the first time we saw that mask, I like I did start to cry a little bit. I remember being so struck by the end of season three by the choice to obscure the kiss with that one balloon. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, are, are we just getting, like, are we just being teased? Like, we're going to see more of this next season. Is Akasaka just, you know, putting us on a cliffhanger again because it's the end of the season and he likes to do big crazy things at the end of the season? You know, what's going on here? Because uh, it felt like that was the moment, you know? I knew the show had more to say and I knew the story wasn't over and... You know, I knew there was actually quite a bit more. And I, like, I knew that the confession was not the end game. But it was like everything in the show up until now had been focused on getting to this point. Why is this being hidden? And it all became clear in the next episode when they were all talking about the fact that even though they had this really incredible moment of closeness, even though they kissed, it didn't feel genuine. It didn't feel real. And something that I think is so important about what the, the movie did was talking about vulnerability, about opening yourself up to another person, because that is a critical part of relationships. And yet the fundamental premise of this show is about the denial of vulnerability, right? Having the person you want without ever allowing yourself the possibility of being hurt. And in the absurdity of this show's humor, like that premise gets stated very bluntly a couple times in the beginning and then never questioned again. Like it is the overriding just axiom of the entire show. And I love that they take the time to deconstruct it. I love that they take the time to realize even when we got to where we wanted to go, the rules that we were playing by made it unsatisfying. And it was kind of heartbreaking to watch both of them feel like the other person was opening up to them, but they could not open up to the person that they finally, finally get to have this moment of connection with. And of course, they both could have started dating, like, what, a year prior in universe if they had just been honest with one another and not played all these, you know, power plays and mind games and, and, and bullshit. But to, have, to, get, to do the actual, to get to the actual kiss and to feel like it wasn't you, heartbreaking. And I think really important for the show to contradict itself in that way. And honestly, in the future, I mean, I, I have started reading the manga. I have not yet caught up to where the show finishes, but I do plan to read the manga all the way through. I hope that we will see them struggle in their relationship for the same reasons, with the same things, not wanting to show affection, but wanting to receive it in turn. You know, it, like the show really kind of is the 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 expansion of that you know phrase right you know in order to receive the joy of being loved we have to go through the mortifying experience of being known mm. that's what it's all about 
Favorite character, I'm gonna go quickly, I'm sorry, I've been talking for a while. Favorite character, I love Kaguya, I love Miyuki. My favorite character is Chika Fujiwara. Fuck you, <laughs> that was mine! <laughs> I love the chaos she brings to the dynamic. I think the narrative construction of having her, the, the role she serves in like the first season or so, brilliant, right? Is breaking this deadlock between the two of them. Like adding this element of chaos, which they explicitly name, by the way. I love that she has such a uh, evocative effect on these two like very reserved people right she brings out the life in them the 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 way she breaks up their uh, their you know deadlocks and the way that she introduces them to scenarios that put them outside their comfort zones makes the story work like you could not have this show without Fujiwara I love the relationship that she ends up developing with Shiragane with all the mentoring and then the sort of artistic kind of the rap episode in particular is just like ugh, incredible and she's just so feisty and so much fun to be around. Uh, she, she's she's incredible. And she's the chaos gremlin that we all need. She's also a dirty little cheater. <laughs> but that's part of her charm, that, Marcus. The cheating episode when she gets caught is one of the funniest moments. Yeah, um, <laughs> like the uh, uh, the flipping the cards, matching pairs episode. Yeah, uh, and her, her reaction to getting caught. Yeah. yeah. Also, she's a board game club member, and that's awesome. Yes, and she's a she's a nerd, and the fact that and and she's also like fellow hardcore shipper, so I respect her for that. Um, and she, she, I don't know, she's she's just she's funny, she's great, she gives the show color. All right, so I will start because that was my favorite character um, with a bit of a meme answer for my favorite moment. Has anyone has anyone here saw, seen Starship Troopers? <laughs> Am I the only one here that has watched Starship <laughs> I Troopers? You're the only I think one you are. Here. Yeah. Mother, goddamn! I have no one else to share this shit with. <laughs> I literally texted Alex in like the middle of the night sometime, and I'm like, "What the fuck is the ED of season three? Because the, it has if you've watched it, the ED. Of I, season okay, three, well, I was actually wondering though. I asked that same question to Alex. Like, I've never seen Starship Troopers, but I was like, is that what this is referencing? That is what that is referencing. Good God. <laughs> the fucking drop pods, the exact same armor and the guns and the fucking aliens that shoot shit into the sky. It is exactly <laughs> Starship Troopers down to like the bug aliens as well. And I'm like, so, so who, who, like, who is this? Are they, are, is, did the director of this anime know exactly my brain? Because I, I, I don't understand how I'm the only one who knows this reference. Um, this is crazy. It, like, I literally watched it for the first time, and then I saw that it was a dream, uh, Shinagata's dream, and I was like, holy shit, what, just, what the fuck just happened? And then Alex pointed out later on that that sequence is actually a sequel to the first season's ED, which is mm -hmm. crazy. That's so cool. They didn't have yeah. to do this. And for my actual favorite moment of they didn't have to do this what the fuck was that rap episode is critical is actually really important actually yeah. no the rap episode is what made i went back and forth on my opinions on hayasaka hard there were moments when i loved her and there were moments when i despised her and the rap episode is what makes her like one of the goats in my opinion yeah and I, I say this facetiously on why do they have to do this? Because I love the episode and it's so stupid in the way. And that's why I love it. Um, but yes, sort of having this deep sort of uh, build out of Hayasaka's character and 
I'm I I am still confused on why Hayasaka has to disguise herself when interacting with Fujiwara. I still don't understand it. I the Alex tried to explain it to me once, and I'm like, sure, <laughs> let's go with that. I think it's just because like she had already established an alias, and then to break that alias is like, oh wait, Hayasaka is your maid and also this student and also like this male servant like right but how would fujiwara much... be able to recognize her as the male student if she didn't dress like that anyway so it wouldn't have even mattered no, because she was told that they were going to meet hayasaka they said the name hayasaka fujiwara thinks hayasaka is the name of one of her male <laughs> servants and shirogane thought that hayasaka is the name of a friend of kaguya so I think that's almost that's it, almost but correct. Close like, okay, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes, that that is that is amazing, uh, and it is the culmination of the. I don't know why I was about to call Fujiwara Anya just for no reason. The uh, pink, pink hair. hair. The pink hair. Yeah. It's the pink, pink hair. hair. No, um, no, no, no. You know who Fujiwara really is? Fujiwara is um, Nadeshiko from Your Camp. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, big anyway. hair, big pink hair, bright and bubbly. Their face like, is big animated appetite. almost the exact same way, too. <laughs> it, she really is the same character. Uh, I, I, so I, I, what I wanted to say was it's the culmination of the arc that they've been having with Shiragane and the training arc and stuff like that. So finally Shiragane is able to teach her something, and then he's like, all right, so now you have to teach me. And she's like, what are you, the fuck <laughs> yeah. are you talking about? And so, <laughs> anyway, so th- with that out of the way, my favorite character besides Fujiwara, because I agree with everything you just said, Aris, I, will, I guess I'll talk about Ishigami. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe no one's actually claimed one of the main duo yet. No, I mean, no, well, I mean, no one wants to talk about the main characters. Um, Ishigami grew on me, uh, like with I think he grew on most people uh, because of just the content of the show that he is presented as like incel neat per kind of personality, and then it's shown what he really struggles with and we see him develop like actual social skills. And I love the way that during the culture cultural festival, how he accidentally asked Tsubame out. It's honestly like one of the best modes of the show. Cause he's like, again, Ishigami is presented as like, you know, he he's, he's not like, he's like a nerd, but he's not smart. So he, ha- he doesn't <laughs> really have like the good parts of either part of that. <laughs> And so he's like, you know, well, one well, of the... well, he, he's presumably he is said to be very, very, very good at like data, which right. is why he works as a treasurer. But that doesn't translate to tests, which apparently. is that is true. And or and also, of course, social skills. And also, of course, he is the 10 percent of people that doesn't know the significance of hearts during this cultural festival. Um, <laughs> and I love. OK, again, because. The cultural festival, the entire arc of the cultural festival when it came to leading up to dual confessions ishigami and tsubame's relationship thing perfectly slotted in as like a conflict piece it was like so good because i love that during the cultural festival the conflict wasn't like are these people going to confess the the main characters going to confess to each other because we already know that shirakan is going to do it regardless and we already know that kag is trying to and so the entire thing of Oh no, our friend is trying to confess to the girl she likes. If it doesn't work out, we're not going to have a chance to confess to each yes. other. So we need to do everything in our power to make sure that this works out. And it's so good. And I love it because of how Ishigami is portrayed in that exchange. It's, it's so good. Yeah, I, I absolutely love 
the yeah, Ishigami's arc, especially in the sports arc and the cultural festival yeah. arc. But I do want to take a moment to highlight the character, the relationships that our main characters have with one another. Uh, because I think in and of themselves, they are something to be talked about. Like Kaguya's um, sort of mentor or like older sister relationship with Ishigami is so sweet. And she like sticks up for him in certain moments. And just like the interplay between him and Fujiwara, all these like, interpersonal connections between the main five um, student council members are so nice and so each one's like different and refreshing from one another i love it 45 minutes in i guess i'll start on my favorite character (laughs) um so to be honest michael i was actually going to call out the ed for season two as well just because i had no idea what the fuck was going on and i was like why did they do this why is it animated so well why am i suddenly so intrigued by this sci-fi like (laughs) weirdness involving the characters so that was also i guess my meme answer um i'll do my favorite character i i am very much on the hayasaka train i believe she is best uh girl um the other thing is that in the dub she has this her voice actress does this thing where she speaks in a normal american accent when she's with kaguya but has this really posh british accent whenever she interacts <laughs> with anybody else Wait, so it actually works so well it works it it, really it's, well. it's so good and it didn't you know it didn't translate over of course in the japanese uh in the, in the japanese version so i love how they decided to do this and it really comes to life in the episode where uh miyuki comes to uh kaguya's house in season one, I think it's episode nine or whatever. Because yeah. he's greeted by uh, Hayasuka and she just has the dumbest fucking British accent. As, as Miyuki's like, I just want to drop off these things. She's like, no, how about you go inside her room and get locked in the room for three hours. And you can do whatever you want because the rooms are soundproof. But don't do anything too, uh, too you know, lewd or whatever. So <laughs> for the record, that was the episode that originally made me hate her. So just put it out there. Well, I found it really funny. And I think that that episode, like, the other thing is that the Kaguya voice actress, whenever she, when whenever she, it, I think this really only happens twice. The first is when she's sick and she's kind of out of it, right? Oh, and when then, she turns into idiot Kaguya. Yeah, when she turns into idiot Kaguya, right? She, the, the voice actress does this, like, dumbest, like, baby voice kind of thing. And it's, it's hilarious because it sounds exactly what you would think an idiot girl sounds like, pretty much. So... She does that in that episode, and then also at the very end when she's, like, gushing over the kiss to Hayasuka at the very, very end of season and I, three. And I also assume it, it it would also occur in the movie, because there is a small Kaguya. There is, yeah. Little Kaguya. Uh, little Kaguya. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, I will look forward to that. But, yeah, I think Hayasuka is an excellent character. Um, obviously, she's the one that Kaguya confides in the most, so you get a lot of the internal... You get a lot of external internal monologuing. Uh, from Kaguya's mind kind of in those uh, in a way that's you know more digestible as dialogue with somebody else who you know she trusts and you get to see that you know Hayasuka at the same time being very supportive of Kaguya is also like you're a fucking idiot all you have to do is just you know say that you like him or like do this do that like you're such a sweet summer child it it, you know it's a very fun dynamic that they have between each other uh, and I really like how she's portrayed I, I also don't really get like why she's in the school too like why she has to like pretend to be a student sometimes but that she is a student. She is well, a, yeah. She's she's Kaguya's age. She I guess, just goes but, to school there. But like, she could just be a maid, and it would like it wouldn't have made like it wouldn't have really made too much. Are of you a talking about like, like 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 Hayasaka the person could just be a maid and not 
like drop out of school? Or are you saying that Akasaka could have written her to just yeah, be a maid? The latter. Akasaka. I don't agree. I think be. that Hayasaka being of the same age as Kagi is a critical component. Well, I didn't. Of this. I didn't necessarily say that the age had to be different because I think that them being the the same age. So is you want really her to be a high school dropout? I, she, she really only needs to have one, like, you know, personality. She, she can also like, go to a different school. That's yeah, she could go to the school, yeah. The only I, reason I why she goes say, to the same school is for comedic effect, I guess is what I'll say. I, I will say that um, this is a good line of discussion. It gets expanded upon in the manga. Oh, okay. Or later in the yeah. story. All right. Uh, All right. Uh, the one, and one brief thing about Hayasaka's role as, you know, the, the personal attendant and the, you know, primary uh, conspirator, collaborator, um accessory to you know warfare crimes uh i love that hayasaka can serve as the audience stand-in to just be like holy shit you idiot just talk to him both of you are dumbasses just talk to each other you obviously like each other you fucking dumbasses just date already god not the read receipts (laughs) (laughs) receipts. Uh, (laughs) she goes over just explains the whole thing uh favorite moment i mean uh, I do really like the Ishigami flashback um, during the, I guess, during the entire sports arc or the racing arc and how he, like, mm-hmm. he has that kind of, like, super scion moment where he's like, I'm going to fucking run and I'm going to run this race. And then he ends up getting a second anyway, um, which is totally on with his character. Uh, well, well, and that's this. It's like the same thing as like the you know the ultra romantic kiss was not the good one. It's like that's not. Sorry, I'm interrupting. I think it's important that he didn't win, <laughs> and it's not just for jokes. Yes, I agree. Um, the arm wrestling episode is really funny. Uh, the uh, I don't know if anybody watched the uh, the underwear episode, which I think is of course yes. season <laughs> oh two, God. episode seven. it's required television actually (laughs) so uh that was really funny like i'm basically just picking cherry picking episodes that i really liked because i didn't watch the movie and apparently the movie has some really good scenes so you're just gonna get a a highlight reel of what i really enjoyed watching the the, the first two episodes where miko ino has joined the student council and has to start interacting and discovering all of the stuff that happens i felt so bad for her yeah it's it's a friend being invited into an already established dynamic (laughs) well i mean I felt bad for her because, like, one, I've been there in my life, and it's very hard to be that person. Two, it's like, she just wants to be part of the student council, and even if she understands that all these, you know, misunderstandings are just misunderstandings, and it's not like she's entering a room full of sexual deviants, like... She's not actually getting to be a part of the friend group. And like, <laughs> and I love that they actually brought that back uh, when, you know, they were doing the, you know, put your you know coin heads up if you think that you don't need me around and I'm just a burden on the friend group. Like, I felt so bad for her. I And I just like on that topic, one of the things I really, really, really love about this show is how every little detail about these characters is always relevant later. It, you know, we mm-hmm. learn, like, at some point midway through season two that Shirogane really loves astronomy, and he loves the stars, and he loves the moon. And that becomes a big part of the ultimate reveal at the sports festival, or the culture festival, I mean. It becomes a big part of how Kaguya knows where to find him, right? These little moments where, um, you know, feels sort of out of place, like, comes back later. She, she recognizes it. I mean, the fact that we know such ridiculous details, like, oh... Man, what was that? I just said this to you the other day, Alex. Uh, and now I'm forgetting. Prompt me. <laughs> well, it was um, it was like some tiny detail about someone's like I don't know, like personal, like food preferences or something that ended up being plot relevant. Oh, like, was it the um, octopus wieners? 
Maybe it was that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah it was, right? right? That were the huge deal when it was the uh, little cutesy arc about, um, or the, I guess, you know, mini episode, part of an episode about Kaguya wanting to eat Shirogane's lunch because it looked really good. And it came back way later when he made his own lunch again. And there yeah, was a whole, during the ice like, during the arc. Ice Kaguya arc, which is like a full two and a half seasons later. Like, nothing goes to waste of the characterization, not just for the main squad, but even for these little side characters. Yeah, um, I I do want to mention like yeah some of those like hilarious moments that we are unfortunately skipping over. I think like immediately after the Ishigami Sports arc, they have the balloon popping thing, and Ishigami's like, "No, I'm a changed man now. Yeah. I can do this." He's <laughs> like, "Oh wait, this is very big. This is a huge balloon." And the narrative says like, "The sports arc did nothing to change it." <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think we should spend at least a little bit of time talking about our main characters, Kaguya yes. and Miyuki, because they are the central part of this anime. The whole reason why we are caring about this uh, this group of students in this prestigious university is because these two, the president and the vice president, are at war with one another. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the progression of the two's relationships and also their characterful moments that happen throughout the show because there is a lot of drama to be found, especially with Kaguya's family, because the whole reason why, or one of the reasons why Kaguya is afraid of getting too close to Miyuki and too close to everyone else is because she comes from this cutthroat family of, like, it's, like, some esoteric company or whatever that are controls... They, are they just called the Shinomiya group? Yes, they're, like, this financial group that has a chokehold on Japan or something. It's, 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 I think I remember the number. It's, like, they, they're, like, their company's worth 400 trillion yen, like yeah, four trillion dollars, something. Yeah, absurd. something like that. But um, yeah, the reason why she's so reticent about creating these relationships is because of the fact of her upbringing, the fact that she's been grown up. Uh, she's been taught to use people as tools to not trust anybody. Um, whereas Miyuki wants to uh, become like someone that Kaguya respects through his hard work, through his academics, in order to become worthy of confessing to her, or worthy to stand by her side, as he says. Um, and all of these inform those tiny, hilarious moments, uh, but they also inform many of the sad, characterful moments in the show as well. So what are your thoughts on the two's relationships and the progression of both of theirs? Um, yeah, so... I think this is what I was talking about. Uh, I mentioned to some of y'all that um, the show was giving me strong Oron vibes. And it wasn't just about the anime-ness of the show and the anime portions of it. But it was about the setting and the backgrounds of these characters. Mm -hmm. Notably Kaguya. Mm -hmm. They're at a, a prestigious high school. And Kaguya is under the weight of so much like effectively like royalty when it comes to her family and so she's under an immense amount of pressure from her family and she does not have a great relationship with her family as well and so we are able to see how that affects her 
uh, out her uh, behavior when it comes to relationships. It's basically the main driver for why she cannot just come out and confess her love because she is on the inside ice Kaguya. Um, and notably, the, the the way that I thought this was about, the way that I related this to Oran was the character of Kyoya Otori, where he is like the third son of his fam- familial dynasty, and he is has so many expectations on him to, you know, be something great, and he can like never, never, never settle for less than perfect, right? And so then, when Shira, Shira, Shiragane comes around, and we only see this revealed in the in the in the movie, technically, that you know the way that their interaction started was like he was like, "I'm going to beat you on the like I'm going to be number one in this school," and she's like, "Huh? What do you? Who, what, are you? Who are you? Who are you even? Why are you even talking to me? <laughs> who are you? Good, right? good luck, buddy. Right. And then it happens, and it kind of sparks this uh, this uh, interest in both of them on how like how perfect that Kaguya can or should be as opposed to someone like Shiragane. Um, so I think that the movie does a very, very good job of showing that progression, even in the just small flashback. And then when it relates to their relationship, I love the, as you said, progression that the relationship goes under. And I love how it feels very natural. The steps that the, relationship takes when it escalates i love plus that one of that it's plus one of that it starts off as like well i wouldn't mind if he li- i wouldn't mind if he liked me and then they go into this whole conversation with them both having you know uh i was supposed to say colleagues but friends in their grade confide yeah, the in confidants. them the confidants that try to be like you you must be really popular so tell me about relationships and that kind of brings out that they have to acknowledge that they like each other because their advice about relationships is like leaning in that direction, if that makes sense. And I, I think it's so it's it's uh I forgot their names, but the two other people that are in a relationship, oh, Nagisa and her boyfriend. Yeah. and I love yeah, Kashiwagi. Kashiwagi, boyfriend who doesn't I, get a name for like three seasons. Yeah, it's like only now did we learn that his name was something. Um, and still we don't remember because clearly it wasn't as important. I just know that it's similar to Tsubame. It's like. It's something similar to that. Anyway. Suyasu or something, maybe? That sounds about right. Um, that sounds plausible. Right. I love that they are the, quote-unquote, typical high school relationship that we can track the progress of Kaguya and Miyuki's relationship against. And so it yes. gives us a perfect framework to see, like, are th- how how far behind are they, right? Um, and it gives, like, this perfect outlet where... Ishigami and Fujiwara can both say things that are like complete bullshit when it comes to relationships and then you have someone that's actually in a relationship that is like they're doing their own thing and we can see how it relates to their actual uh, Kakia's and Miyuki's uh, growing relationship as well so I love that aspect when it comes to their progression. Yeah, no, I mean, big, big, big ups to that. I think uh, Kashiwagi and uh, Su, I just looked it up, uh, Subasa. Um... <laughs> I think the two of them are a great framing device, not only for, you know, how their relationship progresses, we can measure them against each other, but how their, like, advice sessions go. I think the moment when, you know, Kagi, because Kagi eventually starts going to Kashiwagi for advice, and the, the, there was a moment, like, near the end of season three, I think, where uh, Kashiwagi was just like, wait, you're talking about yourself? Wouldn't you try and pretend it's your friend you're asking about? And I was like, this is the girl who, like, 
didn't know left from right and came to Kaguya for advice, right? Like, I just it's just happening on the side here, and I just think it works so well as this yardstick for what's going on here. And not yeah, in their in their various interactions, it starts from asking them to advice to kind of mutually puzzling things out to the flip side of it all. The relationship, I think, part of why it works so well, you know, this development of a relationship between uh, Miyuki and Kaguya. It's weird. My instinct is to call her Kaguya, but him Shirogane. Uh, it's because everyone calls him Kaicho. Shirogane or president. Kaicho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kaicho. Um, part of why it works so well is that the both of them really do have such a genuine and deeply rooted admiration of the other. And for for different reasons, right? I mean, Kaguya loves Shiragane for his dedication and his kindness to people. And Shiragane loves Kaguya, I mean, for her, like, the, 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 God, this is hard to put into single words. And if anyone has a better way to phrase this, help me out here. But, like, the, the, um... Someone who is is well accomplished and like uh, admirable, and someone to aspire to, uh, you know, like makes him want to be a better person. Yeah, he the the thing he says in the movie is like he sees that like the front that she puts up as like Ice Kaguya is there out of um, out of her concern for others um, to not get hurt, and he right. wants to like meet her there. They just both have such a fantastically genuine feeling for each other. And I think what makes the flow of the relationship work, what makes the development work, is that so often what trips up their schemes is their own damn feelings, right? They get too overwhelmed by emotion to actually, you know, follow through on the air quote killing blow in their little mental battles. You know, because I think with the premise, it would have been very easy for the story to sort of over time become more about winning than about the relationship. To lose sight of like, this is, you know, I want this person to confess to me because like I like them too. I just am too proud. It could have been very easy for this show to all be about, you know, I want the other person to say these things to me because then I win and I'm in charge. And and in particular, I'm thinking of that one uh, episode where, you know, Kaguya, like, goes through all this uh, trouble. She has Hayasaka break into the student council room and replace the coffee with decaf because she knows Shiragane <laughs> needs coffee to stay awake. And he falls asleep and she's like, great, now that he's asleep, he's vulnerable and I can do the next part of my plan. And the entire thing is upended. Because he falls asleep on her shoulder and she is overcome with her feelings. And the episode itself focuses on Hayasaka and her like trials, you know, to keep other people from entering the student council room. And she does all this crazy bullshit and, you know, it's uh, a whole time and a half. And that's the comedy of the episode. And then we come back at the end and Kaguya has had all this time to do whatever the heck to sleeping Shiragane and she hasn't moved a muscle. Because she's too overwhelmed by, oh my god, President is sleeping on my shoulder. Ah, he's touching me. Ah. There's never a point where it feels adversarial in more than the face of it. It always feels like the crux of it is like, I, I do genuinely deeply admire and care for this person. It's just my own bullshit that prevents me from 
admitting that to myself with a straight face. And so I have to do all these convoluted schemes and shenanigans to approach this in a way that is acceptable to my own self-image. The only thing I'll add uh, to that really good response is that I think that I like how the um, their, their initial impressions of each other, you know, evolve beyond the initial impressions, right? Like, uh, uh, Miyuki almost has this very, like, she be- he, he believes that, well, he believes that Kaguya is at the same time this, you know, ruthless, cold woman who will, you know, put him down at every, you know, moment and say, like, oh, how cringy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how cute. <laughs> yeah, how cute. Kawaii. How, how painful. Um, and is that the, what she says in the dub? Uh, she says a number of different things, I believe. Because in the sub, it's always the same Yeah, thing. it's always the same as Kawaii, but it's not always the same in the dub. Um but at the same time, he also kind of pictures her as this, like, super cute, like, definitely putting on the facade of, like, you know, in, in the, you, you know, once you take all that off, she's like, oh, would you please rub my back, Mr. President? It's like, it's a little weird, honestly, at that point. But, um, and then, of course, Kaguya's opinion of Yuki is always of, um, that, like, it's, it's definitely more out there. And I guess it's because Kaguya is the main character, so you don't necessarily see as much of, like, uh, you know, her initial impression of Miyuki was incorrect. But I do like how, like, they, as they come to respect each other and, you know, be, get interested in each other more for the people that they are instead of just initial uh, impressions, that they, you know, start to think of each other differently. Like, uh, Miyuki doesn't necessarily have that those thoughts about Kaguya anymore. Like, at that point, because, you know, when we're getting into the beginning of Season 3 or so, uh, it's pretty much clear that Miyuki is going to just confess like he's gonna do it and he's gonna you know of course he puts a you know puts together this plan to make it as elaborate as as it could um but he is going to do it while kaguya we're not necessarily sure so the the paradigm almost shifts a little bit we get fewer episodes of this you know i guess more blatant comedy where it's like oh yes this person said something and the other person completely misinterpreted what they said and that's the premise of the comedy for the next seven minutes (laughs) i want to go to the aquarium with you or not, I'm already here at the aquarium. She rejected me. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we see less of that and more of developments like the culture festival arc where, you know, things are happening concurrently and uh, movement is being made without any, like, grievous setbacks, I guess. Like, it feels like the, 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 um, the pacing of how the story begins to build up to the dual confession feels a lot more smooth at that point. And I think the show definitely uh, improves for it. I think perhaps the only criticism I could give of this show is that it does get repetitive in the way that the comedy is kind of laid out in the way that I described. You know, somebody says something, somebody else misinterprets it. Like they do that, you know, 10 times, 15 times over the course of the first two seasons. So I'm glad that they they... Develop the character, and like, of course, again, uh, a big ups to how this show is written. That develops into something that's a lot more interesting to watch. Real quick, I just realized that um, if y'all remember in season one, uh, when uh, I forgot her name again, what the f- what's her name, and then her boyfriend, Kashiwagi. Um, the the way that they get together is that her boyfriend. Does like the whole wall slam thing? Yes. Yeah, well, that's, what, that's what uh, Miyuki told him to do. Exactly, which is completely in line with how he confesses to to Kaguya. It's this like brass show of like emotion and kind of uh, not like aggressiveness, but like assertiveness, I guess. Um, 
and which is why it's a perfect way for him to confess to her while still having the mask on if that makes any sense because it is mm, it is mm-hmm. it is like it is almost because Kaguya says this to begin with that like she, the only reason that she went she kept going was because of like the the shock of the moment right which is exactly what happened with Kashiwagi which I think is like a perfect parallel and means that the ending of the movie is so much more satisfying because we do see like yes he was wearing that mask the whole time on on in the clock tower as well so i think it's like a really cool character moment there anyway yeah it's just like nothing is ever unimportant in this show and nothing is ever like the easy answer is i feel like there's so many things that could have been done more simply uh, and I guess in particular, what I'm thinking about now is when I, when we got to the moment where it was revealed that uh, Miyuki's going overseas for, um, for, for university. To Stanford. That, uh, yeah, also like Stanford is freaking hilarious. Also, I do just want to point out while we're on the topic, like the ending credits for the movie, yes! I believe. Yes, have it's at the SFO. very end the final shot. The final shot is of a uh, of an airport. Uh, where, you know, it's the two dots getting closer together, so presumably they're meeting up uh, somewhere at an airport. And, like, I guess we're doxing ourselves, because we recognize that it's as SFO. SFO. I was about to say, you know, <laughs> I'm not really sure people know that we're in that area. Am I going to have And honestly, this? I actually think they nailed it, because I do think it's kind of in the area of the International Terminal, which is amazing. No, no, it is. They it were is. in the International yeah, Terminal. Yeah. You can see the clear shape yep. of the two parts of the airport. Yep. If you really need to, Alex, you can edit this out later. And if you, dear <laughs> listener, are hearing this, that means that Alex thinks that we are not significantly doxing ourselves. It's <clears throat> Actually, no, we could just say I have a friend who went to Stanford and when I visited him one time. <laughs> we know the exact layout of SF4. Yeah, we know four terminals. Gone to Stanford I looked it up and they did that anyway. You can cut this out if you really, really want to. But uh, the moment... Uh, that I that they reveal that he's going overseas for university. I it I was so happy. Like not that there is another conflict to their relationship, obviously. I want them to get together like as hard as anything I've ever wanted in my life. But I knew kind of instinctively and I wanted for there to be something more to it than just they confess and then that's it, right? Like, I want their relationship to overcome problems together, right? That's what makes that satisfying, right? And this kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, the concept of the story is not over when they start dating, right? That's the the story is in mm-hmm. some ways just beginning when they finally start dating. And the I knew or I wanted desperately for there to be some serious complication added that was more than just oh, we're going to run out of time before we get over our own damn selves. And going overseas to university like that, I think was the perfect thing because it's this confluence of everything we know about these characters. It's Miyuki's hardworking attitude. It is Kaguya's like desire for him to succeed, her admiration of his academic abilities, right? It is uh, Miyuki's like this, this uh, kind of tear between wanting to make the most of himself that he possibly can to be worthy of Kaguya, but then also not wanting to leave Kaguya. I mean, there's... It's just such a real problem. This show gets damn real when it gets real. Yeah. Like that that moment you're talking about when I think Kaguya was talking to maybe Hayasaka or maybe she's having an internal monologue to herself about... I think it was to Hayasaka. She, I think I know what you're about to say. Yeah, yeah. But she's like, I, I admire you. I like love you so much. And 
that's why I can't ask you not to go to Stanford. I can't ask you to stay with me um, because I want what's best for you. And there is that like real moment, like, are they going to leave it like this? Are they going to leave things unsaid because of this new, new dramatic twist? Yeah, and this, you know, I don't know if this is, like, incendiary enough to count as a hot take, but I think this is actually, like, kind of one of my overriding theses about this show, is that in many ways, right, this is a parody of the rom-com anime that's come before it, right? It's this kind of this deconstruction of the tropes. It's leaning so hard into the absurdity of them that it comes out the other side into this, like, it's just truly, like, off the rails, unhinged, the premise of it, right? It starts off in this place of just utter satire in many ways. And I feel like there are so many times, uh, what we said just then, right? This, this real deep abiding conflict that that's the kind of thing that like real relationships have to end over in a way that no one's at fault. That's just how life happens, right? The, the, um, I mentioned this earlier, the importance of, uh, Ishigami not winning, the race in the sports festival, because just because he's had this personal moment of revelation doesn't mean that it's going to end in a fairy tale moment for him. He's not going to get to actualize, realize that catharsis through a tangible event. That's all happening on the inside. And it doesn't, you know, coincide with the universe lining up for him to suddenly be triumphant in this way, right? My overall take is that in the same way that this show starts off very obviously satirizing the you know, the absurdity of the premises of many rom-coms. I think these moments where life just doesn't work out like that, the moments where it gets serious and the universe does not bend to the the best conclusion for these characters is life, you know, that it, it is also, I guess, railing against that, uh, or it is satiring, or it is, you know, pushing against how that works out in rom-coms. That's the thing of rom-coms is that it always works out in the end. You know, the universe, like the, the, the universe is going to bend and the clouds are going to part and whatever is happening that is causing these problems are going to get magically solved. And real life ain't like that. And I feel like these two things, right, the, the way that this show satirizes, you know, some of the absurdity of rom-com and the way that this show kind of rejects having these picture perfect, beautiful moments, right, the way the show rejects having the big, amazing confession be the moment that their relationship becomes real and in a resounding fashion. There's a whole movie about how that's not what made the relationship happen. And it is this conversation in the park at midnight on, a, you know, like a, an empty, you know, park bench. And it's Christmas and they're all by themselves in the cold and the dark. That is what makes the relationship real, right? It's all part of the same idea. It's all part of this same approach to telling a romance in a genre where the concept of romance and the concept of a happy ending has been so thoroughly defined and iterated upon. Yeah, it goes to show the skill of the writer to have these really over-the-top moments while also bringing the show down to earth in those realistic moments where things don't always work out because you've had an introspective moment as happens in so many anime um before we move on to our last section i do want to mention the music of this show is hilarious it's incredible i love the fact that they have the exact same singer for every single one of the ops (laughs) 
that man is set for life for <laughs> the rest of his days. OP two is my favorite. OP two is OP two goes hard. Yes. Um, I love how they're all bad. like yeah. jazzy. Yeah, I really though have to give shout outs to the very final OP just for the outfits they're wearing. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. I feel like the music in this uh, kind of reminds me of the music in Of All Things. This is my hot take for the episode. That was my thesis just then. This is my hot take. The music in this reminds me of the music from Code Lyoko. That is a hot that, take. I what? don't see that at is all. is certainly a take. <laughs> because there's a lot of tracks that do get repeated, but they have very strong sort of emotional or tonal associations with them <laughs> that get used very proficiently to bring the audience to the emotion of the moment. I mean, the 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 freaking, like, the opera singer, like, you know, every time a character's like, oh my god, like, having a horrifying revelation, the the one that's just, like, the little kind of um, electric piano, like, plunking away a bit when they're, like, quiet or, like, lazy or Fujiwara's being stupid. Are you right? saying um, that this anime and Code Lyoko are the only two pieces of media in existence that yeah, use light yeah, motifs? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> no, it's not about light motifs. That's and what you just said. <laughs> light motifs is a bit broader of a term that I think I'm trying to get. You here. literally I'm just not said. saying they're the only two. I'm not saying they're the only two. Okay, I that was never a word in my mouth. Drop a hot take. Defend the take. <laughs> right. I'm just saying that's what I'm reminded of. Oh. And how you could, right. you could play, you, okay, look, if you were, like, graphing emotion over time as, like, data sets, I feel like by listening to nothing other than the soundtrack, you could, like, get it almost perfect. Oh, and geez. that is not always true. Step three, compromise the take. Wait, I'm so confused. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Well, for this final section of this episode, since the manga is still left on, uh, unadapted still have a little under half the story to get through it's time to bring out our theory wall so i have three theories for each one of you uh and you will as all theories wall goes decide on whether or not you agree with the theory or choose one of the options the theory presents and then we'll see when eventually the show is done who is correct? You or me? The house. The um, house always wins, though. All right. Well, let's go backwards alphabetically. So, Michael, here is your theory. Your theory is that this series will end when Kaguya and Miyuki graduate. And we'll, that being said, we'll see nothing of them going to Stanford Interesting. or of their college days. So this is, okay, so actually I wanted to clarify this because I thought that the implication was that he was going to Stanford as a substitution for his third, his senior year. That's what I thought. He's going early. Yeah, he's going early. Right. So are you saying that the rest of this manga will take place in the next six months? Yes. Because I don't agree with that. So I will say that I do not agree. All right. Michael says, no, they will spend some time in Stanford. And or, or, maybe we'll the, or, and or maybe that doesn't happen. That could also be the thing, right? <laughs> oh, oh, if they don't go to Stanford right. at all, yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. All right. And Marcus, for you, we've got a bit of a romantic question for you, Marcus. Ah, perfect. I'm a romantic kind of guy. There we go. Uh, will Ishigami and Ino 
end up together? Oh, fuck. Or will Ishigami and Tsubame end up oh, together? Okay. But Tsubame is already graduating. Oh, I, yeah, I can't, I can't believe I can't, you've yeah, actually... You've given me... Uh, basically, you've given me multiple choice. Um, yeah, I, Michael's right. Tsubame is technically already graduated. And while it doesn't necessarily seem that, like, it's... Like, Tsubame is going to reject, reject uh, Ishigami. It kind of feels like... Because, you know, she she's, she's like, oh, he's such a nice guy, though. He's actually super cool and stuff. Like, it does seem like eventually they will just cut that off in the most graceful way possible, which, you know, makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, so I think because of that, I think, it, you know, Ino kind of is the natural progression, I guess, for Ishigami to, uh, to kind of get in a relationship with. And uh, I should. I should. I just want to have it stated on the record that I predicted Ishigami and Ino being endgame during the student council election arc. <laughs> Alex can back me up well, on this. Uh, I mean, they already have history, so it's not like it's a shot in the dark. <laughs> I mean, it was like the first time we were ever really introduced to her as a character. Yeah. It was the call. It was shot. before we really knew their history. By the way. Other than that, they knew each other. I love that Ino's friend, I forgot her name, just is like randomly going out with the other guy. Oh yeah, Osaraki. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, but we're actually dating. We're like, what? <laughs> but it feels so in character for, for uh, honestly, you know what? In my mind, I've just started calling her Marcy because she looks yes! like Marcy from Peanuts. <laughs> that is so true. With the glasses, yeah, and she even plays a similar role as Marcy to Eno's Peppermint Patty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, I would not be surprised if that were, like, explicitly Akasaka's uh, inspiration. I mean, there was a Peanuts uh, reference in the show. There was? So, there was? could be. There's so many references in this show. It's yeah, like, it's, it's exhausting. Right, it's, po- it's pop culture. Uh, so, I mean, what's the name of this ship? Uh, Ishigino? I, I have coined Yumiko. Oh, because of their you, first oh, names. You, you, and Miko. you and Miko are their first names. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm Marcus. sure there's an official ship name somewhere, and someone <laughs> on the internet is yelling at me right now. Well, so don't look it up. If you, if you random stranger on the internet, have an issue with my ship name, please feel free to correct me by emailing hey. bestseatpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> All right, so Marcus, you have said Ishigami and Ino will end up together because Tsubame is graduating soon. Hell yeah, brother. All right, and finally, Iris, our last theory is another romantic one. Your theory is that Chika Fujiwara will also end up with someone before the series ends. Seems like... We're on track to have everybody else in the student council end up together. And so this theory posits that she too will end up together with someone. I'm going to say no. And part of it is, you know, one possible read is that it's just funny if, you know, the love detective doesn't end up with someone, you know, that feels in line with the character of the writing. But honestly, I feel like the main reason is I think Fujiwara is happy to not date anyone. She's gossipy. She loves talking about relationships. She wants to know who is a crushing on whom. She wants to be a part of that. And she's got all these big ideas and thoughts about it. But I don't think she actually feels strongly like she needs to be in a relationship herself. And in particular, I honestly low-key headcanon her as a romantic rep. Interesting. I actually ship her very hard with K for some reason. No, no. <laughs> Listen, they're no, both they're, they they're both very... they're both extremely gossipy, and they already have a connection, which is they have a very sisterly sister. relationship, in my opinion. Well, 
anyway, that's my take. <laughs> that's Michael's called yeah, shot. That's Michael's that's called Michael's shot. Hot yeah. Take, I think. So I mean right. I know I, I know the head the the Aero thing is it's very much headcanon. I don't think that's explicit in any way. But I do think that like Fujiwara is like, no, I'm good. Like I enjoy observing this. I'm also particularly thinking about, you know, the time that we saw her get asked out and turn the guy down. And oh, she it wasn't even like uh very particularly like, Oh no, why are you asking me? Yeah, she just kinda like Directed she his gave attention. him a nonsensical maybe because, yeah, inspirational maybe quote. She's, oh, she's, maybe because she's gay. <laughs> Who would have thought? I mean, it's... it's. I don't think she is gay. It's, it's, uh, specifically because of how freaked out she was when she thought for, like, in the rap episode that Shirogane was gay. She had a whole big deal about, oh, you like men like that. And you really see this man you love as a woman. And you like him... Like that. There's no way this chick's a lesbian. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, Iris, you say that Chika Fujiwara will not end up with someone before the series ends. Well, and she'll be just fine. And she'll be just fine. The show's going to end. She's not going to be with, with anyone. But also, she's going to be a bummer about it. And we're going to make you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. But no, I'm, I'm confident enough that I am adding another condition onto this. All right. Well, we will have to see when the next installment, or perhaps when the series is fully adapted. So join us next time whenever we come back to this series. But that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This week's video you can watch on YouTube is called On My Mind by Aromi. Next week, we are watching The Wind Rises. And Michael, you are bringing that, so... Check that out if you want to watch along with us. And please email us at bestseatpodcast at gmail.com if you have a show suggestion or just want to tell us about your own favorite moments and characters from this show. Thank you to Ben from The Real Beast Podcast for our intro and outro theme. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.